Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. Good evening, Jundo. How are you today? Well, one second. I'm just finishing this chapter. It's really good. Chapter? What are you, are you reading, like, Dogen or something? No, no, no. Stephen King. Stephen King. Oh, it's the, really? It's The Shining, which, by the way, is the perfect book for all of us who are shut into our houses these days. You know, all work, no play makes Jack a dull boy. Well, yeah, but The Shining? I mean, come on, Jundo. You're a Roshi. I, as for me, I just got a whole bunch of new Zen books. I got a, a book of Dogen, and I got a big book of sutras, and I got a book of koans. Oh. Oh, no, no. Burn them. Burn them. What? what? Right away. What? Right in your living room. Well, <laughs> not in your living room. Go outside and burn them. It's a, because our Zenway, you know, is a special transmission outside the scriptures, not depending on words and letters. The more you read, the less you know. I'm just holding with you. It's not. Oh, yeah. I guess that's a mistake. And and I'm looking at you on Skype. I see the bookcase behind you. But then again, you're in a position where you need to read all this stuff and understand it to teach other people. Well, it's not just that. That that saying, a special transmission outside the scriptures, not depending on words and letters, and the whole thing with burning the books, it's really been overdone and misunderstood in the Zen world. If you take uh, almost any of the Zen greats I can think of. There are some radicals out there, I think, who really did burn their books without reading them. Uh, but most of the greats, like Rinzai and Dogen, Dogen was a walking encyclopedia, well-studied. I, I don't think, you know, they didn't have Google in those days. He just pulled it out of his head. Quotes from great sutras, old Confucian classics, obscure poems from, from China. Uh, these were learned, well-read people. So maybe he was one of those people who had such a great memory that when he read them once, he was able to remember them in the future. Yeah, he did. Or he had, or he had a, instead of a bookcase of books, he had parchments or whatever they, they were using back then. Uh, I, I think actually he went to China. A lot of these guys came back with uh, great libraries, which they brought with him. So, so uh, he, he yeah. had, uh, he had notes. You know. yet, yet copying those books, that was a very long task. Did Zen monasteries have scribes the way Christian monasteries did? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Since the, uh, well, since the Buddhist time, they, it was an oral tradition. But it's been shown, now I used to doubt that, but it's been shown even today there are people uh, in uh, Asia and various other societies who are expert memorizers with a good deal of fidelity to the original. So there's a good yeah. chance that it really didn't lose a lot of the tradition. But when it came to finally writing, uh, and they wrote on palm leaves and various things, the, the, the early sutras, no, they would, they would uh, have scribes. And it's responsible for a lot of the... Occasionally they would miss a, you know, a letter or a kanji, a Japanese character, and it would lead to a whole doctrinal change. Because a guy had made a typo... You'd end up with two sects, one who believed the typo and the other guys who didn't believe the typo. So it's kind of like today, but 
I saw something on the Tree Leaf Forum the other day that you said that um, talking about sitting facing the wall might have been an error of copying or translation. And I found that surprising right, because right. this is one of the key right. elements of Soto meditation versus Rinzai meditation. Right, right. Uh, the, there's a, uh, a sutra that may, uh, not a sutra, but uh, a sutra is uh, the words of the Buddha traditionally. So anything not right. spoken by the Buddha is technically not a sutra. But there was a great writing by Bodhidharma, who's the fellow who is said traditionally to have brought Zen from India to China. And in there, he spoke about wall-like sitting or wall-gazing. And people thought, oh, yeah, you're supposed to gaze at the wall. And in Soto Zen, we traditionally gaze at the wall. But people said, no, it's not gazing at the wall. It means sitting as a wall with the impact As solidly as a wall. Yeah. As solidly and unmoved and stolid and upright as a wall. Yes. Ah. Where if a pigeon comes and poops on you, you're fine with it. Like that, sitting like that. <laughs> so this has inspired an entire element of practice, which may not be necessary. Well, no, you got to face somewhere. You know, you got to either face in or out. We uh, we did a survey of uh, Soto Zen teachers, and in the West, at least, it's actually a good deal of flexibility on that. Some people face in, some people face out. You got to face somewhere. You know, you got to do something. But ask me about the special transmission outside the script. Yes, what, what is this special transmission outside the scriptures? Is this like some sort of magic thing? I'm glad you asked that. It, okay, now, there are different views on that. As I said, there were a few radicals out there who actually thought you don't read anything. And I still get these people on the internet or Facebook. Uh, I say something in five words. They go, that's five words too many you've used to express Zen. <laughs> Zen should be without words. And I said, you just used 25 words to tell me that my five words were a waste of time. What If you ask me for people like Dogen, who was so well-studied, Rinzai, even the so-called illiterate sixth patriarch, we say ancestors these days, not to be sexist. Yeah. He started off as supposedly someone who could not read but during the entire course of his teachings, he was quoting the Diamond Sutra right and left, very well-educated. What does it mean? It means don't be bound by words. Don't get lost in the philosophizing and analyzing and just, uh, how to say, being an armchair Buddhist, as we say these days. Uh, for example, I was reading a sutra today. And it's very, very complicated. I was reading uh, the Long uh, Perfection of Wisdom Sutra. It's 600 pages about perfection. 600 pages to tell you basically everything is emptiness. Don't believe anything of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'm reading it, and I'm kind of, how to say, seeing through the words, I'm getting the spirit. Uh, I'm getting the light that shines through the words. So what I recommend to folks to do is, if you don't study... It's very dangerous. Ask me why it's dangerous. Why is it dangerous to not study? I'm going to tell you. Zazen, when we sit, we drop thoughts of many things, good and bad, right and wrong, past and future. It's kind of formless sitting. But if you don't have some direction to your formless sitting, it becomes, how to say, mush. I compare it to sailing. If I dropped you in the ocean in a sailboat, you're in the middle of the ocean, and you don't know how to sail, you're kind of just going to go around in circles and probably your, your lines are going to get all tangled and you're going to end up uh, sinking the boat eventually. 
hitting the rocks. It's the same in Zen. If you do the kind of formless sitting, like being dropped in the middle of the ocean, and you really don't know a good direction from a bad direction, how to keep your lines straight in your heart, how to keep your heart straight, right? How to avoid the rocks, and there are rocks out there where your practice can go wrong. You need to know something. You need to know something. There is a direction to this practice, which is all the difference between running off a cliff or going in circles. You have to know something about Zen teachings and, and Buddhist philosophy. But then, ask me what happens then. So what happens when you learn those things about Zen teaching and Buddhist philosophy? This, I'm glad you told me that thing is getting old, isn't it? But I'm glad you <laughs> asked me that. Uh, so, uh, look, you, you, you read the book lightly. Don't be attached to the words. Then you burn the book spiritually. I mean, I don't, unless you have uh, unlimited resources to keep ordering books, you don't, you, but you burn it kind of. Then you sit Zen. When you sit Zen, there are no books. You're just sitting. But then when the sitting is over, I like to say you, you reconstitute the ashes of the book like a phoenix rising and read it again and repeat and repeat. That's what a special transmission outside the scriptures, not depending on words and letters, means to me. Traditionally, though, um, Buddhist monks in monasteries, they might not have been literate and they might not have been able to read anything, but they would have gotten all this through teachings from their roshis, correct? Well, first off, this is one of the reasons I say that people these days, lay people, probably have a better access to good Zen and Buddhist teachings than the greatest monastics of the past, because they were basically narrow, uneducated, half-literate people. I'm sorry to say it, and it wasn't a good thing. They did not know the world. Not only did they not know the world, they didn't know anything about Zen outside their specific, their specific flavor of Zen. They didn't know anything about Zen. They didn't know about Zen history. They didn't yeah. know about what was true or false. They had one teacher, and you were stuck with him. And if, like me, my students, if they ended up with a lousy teacher, they're stuck with it. No, no, you can go find someone else. You can go on Google and listen these days, or YouTube, and listen to excellent teachers. And also some bad teachers, but you have variety. But that's one of the problems. There's now too much material. Um, so on the one hand, you've got serious publishers, such as the one that's going to be publishing your book um, very soon. Um, they choose carefully what they publish. It's carefully edited. Then you've got people who self-publish books. Then you've got people doing videos and podcasts yeah, yeah. and writing on blogs. Yeah. And you have all levels of teaching. Well, And you can trust the gatekeepers in some ways, the publishers and the, the well-known Zen centers. But it's too easy to find conflicting information. Well, it is. And uh, first off, I'm going to say we're going to change the, the saying these days. A special transmission outside the YouTube <laughs> because you can get caught up in too many things. Again, put down the YouTube and the Google and the books and just sit and learn carefully. And uh, there is so much to choose from that it has its... You, you know more about Buddhism as a layperson these days than Dogen's students in the 13th century, but you can know too much. And it leads to a big problem... I'm not going to say, what's the problem? Uh, I'm glad you asked that. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, you, you could go get a coffee. I, I'll just continue the rest of the podcast myself. Um, <laughs> okay. 
There are so many Zen books. It took me about five or six years to figure this out myself. I don't know why nobody explains it. You go in the bookstore, you, you order a book to be delivered, a Zen book by a Roshi. And it's completely different, but the book you read last week from the other Roshi is recommending completely yep. different things. And in your mind, you try to fit this all together. It must be all the same thing. And uh, they must all just be teaching it. And you try to figure out why are they seemingly saying completely opposite things. The reason is because they're teaching very opposite things. And there are a million flavors according to a million teachers. It's like cooking soup. Uh, if you make tofu soup, tofu is very plain and you can make a thousand different things with it. So different chefs cook in different ways. So all these Zen books, not to mention Buddhist books, the Dalai Lama is not saying what the Zen guy is saying, who's not saying what the, the Soto teacher is not saying what the Rinzai uh, uh, teacher is saying. Who's And I'm not even saying what the other Soto teacher is saying because we have our own styles. It's like cooking chicken soup. You know, thinking about this topic um, in advance brought me back to, I guess it's about 40 years ago, the first Zen book I ever bought. Um, so this was around 1980, and I'd been interested in um, John Cage's music, and John Cage was very influenced by Zen, even though he didn't practice Zen. And I went to a Barnes & Noble on 6th Avenue in New York City. Barnes & Noble was a big chain store. I think they still exist. And they had... I don't know, a half a dozen books about Zen. And I bought two books. And the first one I bought was Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And the second yeah. was that book, um, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones, with a whole bunch of Zen stories and koans in it. Yeah, they're cute stories. And, yeah. and obviously, I didn't understand very much of that at the time. But I find it interesting that Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which was one of the books available back then, is still very close to the kind of Zen that you teach. Yes, it is. No, it's a, it's a fantastic book. It's a it's a classic. Yeah, one thing I mentioned about that book is, and I love that book very much, is you have to remember those first Asian teachers who came to America. Their English was as bad as my Japanese is. And if you've heard my, me try to teach here in Japanese, sometimes I, I my students have to, my Japanese students have to keep from laughing some of the things I accidentally say. It was wonderful teaching. There was a tendency in those old Japanese, uh, not. Uh, I shouldn't say old because it's the book's uh, only first generation. Uh, in the 1960s. Yeah, first generation. That, how to say, they tried to express in limited words and and then they would meander. There's a way of Japanese teaching. He would start off on one sec. He would start off in San Francisco and his talk would somehow end up in Cleveland. It would just wander. <laughs> these these guys would wander. So the, the American students then would take these the, the tape recordings of this and try to make sense of them. And hopefully, somehow, they would make sense. If you read the original transcripts and the final part of the book, they're sometimes very different. And, and the students would, would mold the, the talks into their thought processes as well. Exactly, exactly. Have I told you my, my what time is it story with my Japanese teacher? No, not yet. I was, uh, I was at Sojiji, which is a big monastery here, and uh, I was new to Japanese Zen, my first real... Zen teacher in Japan was Azuma Roshi. And one day I, I wanted to ask him, you know, the big question, what is life? What is death? Roshi, what is time? What is time? And he looked at me and he said, time, 530. And I 
thought, oh, he's means right now, 5.30. Time is now. Now is 5.30. Something <laughs> profound. No, he I thought I was asking what time it is. It was 5.30. <laughs> okay. You, you've prepared a, a brief list of a, of a number of books to recommend um, to people as sort of books for people who are new to Zen, books for going a little bit further. Let's have a quick discussion of which books you recommend then. What's the best book for a beginner, a real beginner who wants to discover Zen? Okay, now I got to put the asterisk and say, just like I just said, there are 10,000 ways to cook chicken soup. I am a Soto practitioner. Yeah. And so these books are a little bit weighted to Soto, and other people will disagree with me, but they're wrong and I'm right. So I'm just going to tell you uh, what books I recommend. Uh, uh a very good introduction to Buddhism in general for people who are completely new to Buddhism, okay, and don't understand the difference between the Dalai Lama and a Lama in Peru is Buddhism for Dummies. Now, the title is, you know, crazy. It's one of those for dummies books. It was really thoughtful and well-read. It's Buddhism for Dummies by Landau and Bodhia. I, I recommend it. And a similar book, for an introduction to Zen history, Zen culture, what's the difference between uh, Rinzai and Soto? Actually, they don't cover that as well as I thought. That was my one hesitancy with the book. But a general book for an introduction to Zen is Simple Guide to Zen Buddhism by uh, Diana St. Ruth. And I, But I've said, if you've been practicing any time at all, it's not the book for you. This is forgiving your mother who thinks you're wearing bed sheets and hanging <laughs> out, you know, chanting, you know, uh, George Harrison song. No, this is just a very, very basic book. Now, uh, there will be links in the show notes to all of these books. Go on. Okay. Uh, a wonderful book to answer questions, a little weighted towards Soto Zen, is, easy to remember name, What is Zen? by the great Norman Fisher and the Equally wonderful, Susan Moon. Both friends that of That uh, sounds like a trick Sangha. question, though. What is Zen? Well, yes, it does. But it, Norman Fisher is like another Jewish Zen guy, and he speaks half like a Zen teacher, half like a rabbi. And it's such a wise book. Very short, very easy <laughs> reading. And so I really recommend that. So one thing that I find interesting is... You were talking about Bodhidharma who brought Zen to China, and it's really interesting to know the history of how Zen got the way it did. And once you figured out um, the difference between Theravada and Tibetan and Zen, then you kind of want to follow the path and see how we got to where we are now. Right. And there's been a recent book by the great Barbara O'Brien uh, that's called The Circle of the Way. And let me tell you what's good about this book. There were some Zen history books in the past that told, how to say, the romantic traditional story. That some of it's true and some of it's not, but the old histories didn't really make a distinction. If it was a legend, it was true, like that. Uh, D.T. Suzuki used to tell stories like that. Anything in his book was what actually happened. And now we know that's probably not what happened. But yet, you don't want to make the scholar's mistake of losing the real import and meaning and symbolism of the legend. Barbara does a great job. She's honest and says, this story's true, this story is probably not true, but look at the real significance of what's, what's being said here. It's a wonderful, short, easy-to-read book, probably not for the beginner beginner, but after you've been doing this for a while and you want to know something of the, the real history of how we got here, The Circle of the Way. Yeah, it's an enjoyable book. Uh, it just came out 
last late last year, uh, and I read it, and it was a very good read because it did clear up a lot of misconceptions I had had. What about all those books that came out in the early days, like Alan Watts and D.T. Suzuki and all those guys? I remember reading one or two of those, but I kind of get the feeling now that they're products of their time. That's right. Now, and I get jumped on this all the time whenever I criticize these books. But I'm going to tell you my least favorite Zen book, and also my, I still love Alan Watson Suzuki, but let me tell you a little of the problem with those books. Firstly, my least favorite Zen book is not that it's, it's not a, a sincere effort and not that it, had, it didn't stimulate people to get interested in Zen. It's just really misleading for a lot of us, especially on the Soto side. That's the three pillars of Zen. I, I read this one early on, a couple of years after the, the Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and here was this thing where people were sweating through Zazen, and they were fighting right. to to resolve these koans, and it just seemed to be in total contradiction to everything that I had read previously. It sounded like it wasn't letting things go. It sounded like it was fighting to get someplace. Right, and then you'd have a big, big booming Kensho opening experience and everything would be clear and with a rainbow and look, doves and glitter in the sky yeah the book was written by teachers from the yasutani harada lineage which is a wonderful lineage I'm not, i don't mean to criticize it but it's a particular flavor of chicken soup cooking where they <laughs> emphasize this intense practice in these big opening kensho experience and it just doesn't apply to a lot of us Soto, how to say is we we also how to how we become the universe, but we slip in the back door, Jack. You know, we, we kind of <laughs> slide in there easy. We by not making the big booming. Sometimes we're intense too, but it's not that push for the great opening experience like that. So I criticize the three pillars of Zen. And what about Alan Watts and DT Suzuki? Yeah, Alan what about Watts them? Is brilliant. Uh, Alan Watts is brilliant, entertaining, charming. Of course, he didn't really practice Zen. Yeah. And back in the 50s and 60s, when he gave his talks, it's surprising they didn't know so much about our history, about our doctrine. So he says a lot of things that are brilliant, eye-opening, stunning, and also a lot of stuff that's just wrong and dumb. Yeah. Uh, so you got to take it with a grain of salt. D.T. Suzuki was also on the Rinzai side. And kind of, for Soto people, he, well, he doesn't cover a lot of what Soto Zen is about. And he also was a guy who would tell these romantic stories as if they're always true. And he was very analytical. And he, he's brilliant to read, but it is very dated, too, uh, from that mm -hmm. time. So you got to take those yeah. two, Watts and Suzuki, and the three pillars of Zen, take them all with a grain of salt. Okay. So what about a good book for practitioners that are in our lineage of Soto Zen? You mean the, the right and true only lineage? Yes, the, the, the one true yes. lineage of Zen. And not only in, within Soto, of course, the lineage that is derived from homeless Koto Suwaki and his students, which is exactly. the one and true way. Yes, the exactly. one and true orthodox way. Yes, this would be uh, <laughs> Uchiyama Roshi's Opening the Hand of Thought which describes what we do in Zazen. We, we're all grabbing onto our thoughts and entangled with our thoughts. We simply open our palms and let the thoughts go their way, unentangled. That's the name of the meaning. It's a wonderful book, and uh, it's the first book I recommend to people new to sitting Zazen.
It's also a wonderful title. The concept there of opening the hand of thought says so much. Yeah, that's it. Um, I I just want to mention a couple of other books by Uchiyama, and it's not that I think that he's the one true Zen writer, but his book, How to Cook Your Life, which is based on uh, Dogen's instructions for the Zen cook, is fascinating. The Um, the Tenzo Kyokan, uh, one of the top five Zen books I also recommend to people. Yep, and it's all about cooking chicken soup, but just one kind of chicken soup. And it's not only about cooking, it's for working. It's about yes. your job. It is about anything you must do in life. It's a lesson in living. Yes. And he's also involved, I guess he wrote these commentaries to the texts of uh, Homeless Kodo or Kodo Sayaki. So there's his book, Zen Teaching of Homeless Kodo, um, yeah. that is yeah. also a really good book. With the proviso, it's a little bit in that wandering. The English wasn't so good. The trans- is uh, you got to take it a little, even that a little grain of salt. Even though he's part of my team, I'm going to say that honestly. Some that book is you got to see see the language issues there too. Okay, so how about one book about Dogen? Because one of the problems of reading the Shobogenzo, and you've said many times, is it's extremely complicated. Um, what's the best way to approach Dogen's writing itself? Well, even though I have written a book about approaching Dogen's writing itself, which I will mention in a second, the uh, classic uh, <laughs> is, uh, of course, uh, Okamura Roshi's Realizing Genjo Koan. Genjo Koan is one of Dogen's uh, most famous writings, and it's considered the doorway to Dogen's other writings. So uh, Okamura Roshi, Realizing Genjo Koan, is a wonderful introduction to Dogen. Okay, now you said that you've written a book. What's this about? Oh, yes, I have. And it's been banned. <laughs> Where it's has banned, it been banned in Boston by some people. Really? Uh, already I'm creating a wave. So it's uh, the Zen Master's Dance. I want to thank you, uh, the, the great uh, Kirk McElhern, for your first editing on that. But it's coming out in October, and it's already been banned in some quarters. You're not kidding that it was banned in Boston. There are uh, a couple of, uh, how to say, uh, mostly run by Westerners, but uh, shall we consider them more conservative or orthodox? Uh, a lot of Tibetan folks who did not like uh, my reputation for not denying rebirth, but being a little open-mindedly skeptical. And also saying that, like I've said in this netcast, a lot of our legends may not be as true historically as we once thought they were. And they think I'm ruining the youth. Like Socrates, I'm ruining yes. the youth. I'm yes. ruining Buddhism. So uh, I have been told on one website, uh, a student of mine tried to mention the book and quote from the book, and they deleted my name. They deleted his quotes from the book and told him that if he mentions the book again, he will be kicked off the site. Wow. It's a good okay. book. It has to be good if you get banned. It has to be good. Okay. <laughs> Okay, well, that's a lot of reading. Um, I think you're going to go back to your Stephen King. Is that it, now that we're finished? Yes, yes, I've seen the movie, but the book's much better. It is, okay, well... Can can I say something? When you practice Zen long enough, any book, even the side of a tube of toothpaste, is Zen. Because it's all about life. It's all about the universe. And Zen is about everything. Zen of everything. We should call this podcast Zen of Everything, shouldn't we? That's a great idea. Okay, until next time, Jundo. Yeah, keep up the good reading and sitting. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.